Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Friday, June 8th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, the latest as Ocean Springs awaits a federal judge's ruling in a lawsuit over flying the state flag. The city has filed a motion to dismiss, which is basically a motion that says, even if what you say is true, it doesn't constitute a valid legal claim. Then find out how a network of black farmers in Mississippi is learning to reconnect and uplift communities. And the 11th Annual International Ballet Competition starts this weekend. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. A Mississippi city is awaiting a federal judge's ruling in a suit challenging the city's right to fly the state flag. Attorneys for the city of Ocean Springs have filed a request to dismiss a lawsuit brought against them by an organization called Mississippi Rising. The group says the flag wasn't being flown at City Hall until current mayor Shea Dobson took office. Complaints about the Confederate battle emblem on the state flag led to Dobson taking it down, but the Board of Aldermen put the flag back up. The lawsuit argues the flag is intended to keep blacks from living in the town and violates a section of the Fair Housing Act. Kevin Melchie is city attorney for Ocean Springs. He tells MPB's Desiree Frazier the city's position. We think that, you know, the lawsuit itself uh, is without merit. Uh, We filed our responses and believe that this group and these plaintiffs do not have uh, standing to bring the, the suits and also uh, that the claim should be dismissed for uh, failing to state a legally cognizable claim. Right now you're waiting for the judge to come back with a decision whether or not this case is going to move forward. We will still be filing a reply brief uh, in support of our motion and then it will go to the judge. What were the arguments that were in the dismissal, the request to dismiss? That the plaintiffs lacked uh, standing under both the Fair Housing Act and Article 3, and also that the claims just do not have any legal merit to them. Can you describe a little bit of what their argument is and and why it doesn't fit with what they're asking you to do? Their primary argument is that having the state flag uh, on public property somehow violates the Fair Housing Act, and uh, this obviously has nothing to do with housing, so we feel that the claim should be dismissed uh, in addition to the plaintiffs just not uh, having standing, not qualifying under the Fair Housing Act as aggrieved persons to to bring a case. Can you explain what the standing part means? Standing is basically that you cannot bring the case unless you have standing. There has to be a case or controversy particular to a plaintiff before a court can hear a case. Not just anyone can bring any lawsuit. There has to be a particular injury to a party before they can bring a case. Okay, and so you have filed the um, request to dismiss. The organization Mississippi Rising has filed their response to your request to dismiss. Correct. 
and we'll be filing our reply brief uh, today or tomorrow. And then once that's in, then the judge will look at that entire package, I would assume. Correct. That's the way it would go. How long do you think it will take to resolve this issue one way or the other? That's really hard to say. That's It's just all in the hands of the court. Um, we would certainly like to have a decision as soon as possible before any uh, more resources are spent, uh, hopefully within uh, a month or two. Ocean Springs City Attorney Kevin Malkai. Mayor Shea Dobson tells our Desiree Frazier the suit is a partisan issue. Frankly, what you're saying is hypocrisy. Uh, you know, I mean, you had uh, uh, people who, uh, you know, like I said, the state flag has been up, has always been up. It's been up at municipal buildings all along Highway 90. One thing they claim is that, um, you know, this is sending sending a signal uh, that we're trying to uh, tell, you know, minorities that they're not welcome. Well, has it always been like that? And if that was the case, how come they didn't say anything as they drove up and down Highway 90 over the past, I don't know, forever. Um, so they didn't say anything then. The reason they're saying something now is because the president and the mayor are both white male Republicans, and now it's an issue. So it's very clear this is partisan. It's very clear they're hypocrites, and it's a double standard, and it's a publicity stunt. You took down the flag because you felt that there was some compelling reason based upon the people that came to you and shared their feelings. Do you get any sense that this could impact people of color moving to Ocean Springs? I don't believe so. The only way that it would impact um, you know, people of color moving to Ocean Springs is uh, you know, if, if those extremists want to keep stirring the pot and, uh, and slandering our town. Um, you know, I mean, how could a flag that's always been here, you know, and we've had, you know, people of color coming in, coming and moving into our city um, for years? And how come how come it's just now now that it's it's becoming an issue? How come they're not going to Gulfport? Well, Gulfport has um, African-Americans on their city council. Gulfport's flying the flag. Gauthier's flying the flag. Long Beach is flying the flag. There's a whole bunch of cities in Mississippi that's flying the flag. But Ocean Springs. I beat their Democrat mayor, and the entire board is white male Republicans. That's why you're seeing this. It's hypocrisy, and it's a double standard, and the case will be defeated. So right now, the city has filed a dismissal, and the organization, Mississippi Rising, that is bringing the lawsuit has filed a response to that. Is this an issue that's dividing residents in your estimation? Um, no, not, not, you know, I mean, there's, there's every, you know, people have their opinion on it, but, um, you know, most people who, regardless of if they feel it should be down or up, um, they understand that this is the state flag and it's uh, an issue that should be handled in, uh, Jackson. And, you know, in fact, um, what this group is doing is, is actually hurting their own cause, um, by running around trying to slander everybody they don't agree with by calling them a racist or a white supremacist. Uh, so you know what they're what they're actually doing is um, is is showing how extreme they are, and um, if 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 it's dividing anything, it's anybody. It's dividing um, those who don't like the flag between the extremists and the ones who understand that you can respect the state flag without being a racist. Well, Mayor Dobson, we appreciate your time in speaking to us about this issue. Thank you. All right, thank you. 
Attorney Mike Scott is partner at Reed Smith Firm in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. He's representing Mississippi Rising in the case. He tells MPB's Desiree Frazier he's still hopeful the case will be heard. Well, you know, we filed our complaint back in early April. The city has filed a motion to dismiss, which is basically a motion that says, even if what you say is true, it doesn't constitute a valid legal claim. We responded to that motion Tuesday of this week, and the city will probably file a further brief, and then the judge will have to decide whether the case will proceed or whether he will grant the city's motion uh, to dismiss it. If he dismisses it, we would likely, I'd have to talk to my clients, but in all likelihood, we would appeal. What is that issue here? What brought this to the forefront? Uh, the city had not flown the, the state flag at, at City Hall in Ocean Springs for many years. A new mayor came in last year, and he put it up. He was met with very strong opposition, primarily from African-American residents of the town, who said that's an insult to us, that's an act of hostility to the African-Americans who live here. Uh, you should take it down. He agreed. He said, okay, I'll take it down. But the Board of Aldermen immediately ordered that it be put back up. They passed a resolution that says it must fly at City Hall and it must fly at all other city properties. So what you have is a city that has no obligation to fly the flag, choosing to fly it for purposes we say are Ill illegitimate. Uh, our allegations are that flying the flag is intended to deter African-Americans from living in Ocean Springs, or even if it's not intended to do that, it has that effect. And either way, either an intention to steer people away from a town or having the practical effect of steering people away from a town violates the Fair Housing Act. And that's what our case is about, the Fair Housing Act. What about folks who say it's the state flag? It's legal to fly it if they want to fly the flag. Look, people who want to fly the flag on their front porch can certainly do that. Um, but uh, the, the city has obligations to be open and welcoming uh, to, to all prospective citizens and to all actual citizens. And the display of that flag does not communicate that kind of openness. It communicates just the opposite. It communicates a sense of you don't belong here. Anybody who understands where that flag has come from and understands what it's in intended to, to the message it's intended to deliver, we'll see that what we say, what, our, what my clients say in their lawsuit is common sense, whether it's the state flag or not. They don't have to fly it. They're choosing to do so. And when you say you are using the fair housing argument, mm -hmm. do you think that that is going to be effective because then it could be argued, well, if it's the state flag, it's not prohibiting people from living where they want. Well, the Fair Housing Act does more than prohibit coercive denial of housing. There's a specific section of the Fair Housing Act which makes it unlawful to express a racial preference. And we say that's exactly what this does. One of the cases we cite in our brief is a case where a developer was running ads in the newspapers, and every one of their ads had pictures of happy home buyers. Every happy home buyer was a white person. And the court said that is enough to subtly communicate a racial preference. We're saying the same thing here. Putting that flag up is not so subtly expressing a racial preference. Would this be a test case for taking this issue to other Mississippi municipalities? 
It could be, depending on the outcome. We're certainly going to look at uh, other municipalities. Okay. Well, Mike Scott, we appreciate you. Thank you, Desiree. There's been no word on how soon U.S. District Court Judge Louis Girola Jr. will rule on the motion. A recent report finds Mississippi has 147 Confederate monuments and symbols on display, including the state flag, which is unique. Heidi Byrick is director of the Southern Poverty Law Center Intelligence Project. She says there's a move to take down the monuments. She tells MPB's Desiree Frazier most of them weren't erected right after the Civil War. Well, it turns out that these monuments were not put up right after the Civil War, which is something that people tend to assume. And in fact, in many ways, they represent white resistance to equality for black people, for civil rights. How did you find that out? What makes you able to make that connection? So you see a whole lot of them going up, for example, the 1920s when Jim Crow was being tightened up. The Klan hits 4 million people in the United States. Another period of furious pro-Confederate monument building is in the 1950s and 60s, and it's directly against the civil rights movement and school desegregation. So these symbols, they're less tied to the war than people think they might be. Is there anything that you can point out as it relates to Mississippi? I mean, the only thing that's interesting about Mississippi really is this issue of the state flag. You know, it's the last state that has the battle flag in its flag. Georgia got rid of theirs um, quite a few years ago. And that makes it something unique. In Mississippi, because of this with the state flag, you have a Confederate emblem flying all over the place. And that makes it uniquely pernicious because that is a flag that is on government buildings. It should be places that are welcoming to the entire citizenry. And as long as you have the battle flag up there, that is not the message that you're sending from your state houses and courthouses. SPLC's Heidi Byrick with our Desiree Frazier. Coming up, find out how a network of black farmers in Mississippi is learning to reconnect and uplift communities. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Black farmers make up a larger share of total farmers in Mississippi than in any other southeastern state. That's according to the U.S. Department of Agriculture. Tamara Jones is director of the Southeastern African American Farmers Organic Network, or SAFRON. She says there's been a rise in the number of farmers across the state interested in learning traditional practices and in developing healthier foods for their communities. Now SAFRON is teaching owners of small farms how to create and maintain a sustainable operation. Jones tells MPB's Ashley Norwood the practice dates back to pre Previous generations. You know, when people think about black farming, uh, they tend to think in terms of what we've lost over the years. You know, 1920, blacks in this country owned 16 million acres of land, farmland. Today, we own less than 3 million. And so it's easy to think of this as a downward spiral in story. But what Safon is showing with the growth of our farmers and the way in which we're working with them is that we are bringing black farming back. Uh, not just as a means of growing food, but as a real strong asset for uh, black culture, uh, the transmission of black culture, ancestral practices, strengthening black communities, and even as a political platform. So we're really excited about what's happening in the Southeast with our members, and we're particularly excited about the energy that we see in Mississippi. Um, what's the big picture? Uh, speaking for Mississippi, how do you see this 
benefiting the state and just the culture of the state and even the health conditions in the state? Now, you know, as we have climate change um, happening, uh, one of the things that we're seeing is a shift away from California back to the southeast. You know, as California is looking at droughts and uh, shrinking water supplies, that's really having an impact already on their ability to be the premier site for farm production in this country. So it's coming back to the southeast, and that, pres- that opens the door for Mississippi to once again emerge as a primary producer of food for the country and to do so in a way that's diversified and healthy so that not all of the farms here are based on these huge models that tend to, um, for better or for worse, you know, have negative impacts on, on communities, but we're really trying to increase um, the number of farmers black farmers that are able to operate in different ways that we think are healthier and that ultimately is also helping to pass on this tradition within the black community, Uh, grow black land, black land ownership, and a way of life that we think um, is very reflective of Mississippi's heritage and roots. Tamara Jones is the executive director of the Southeastern African American Farmers Organic Network. Thank you so much, Tamara. A pleasure, Ashley. Thank you. Cindy Ayers Elliott is CEO of Footprint Farms in Jackson. She tells our Ashley Norwood she's proud of her work. I am a farmer. And I'm so proud to be a farmer right here in the city of Jackson. You are sitting on 68 acres of urban farm right here in the city. And we farm vegetables, a lot of vegetables, but we also have goats and horses and fish uh, right here with all the nature sounds and being a part of the city of Jackson in the country. You talk about the network of black farmers. What does that culture look like? How popular is that? Well, there's more than us than you would think of black farmers and farmers in general and minority farmers. And there's more farming coming into the area and to the state because more people now than ever are reconnecting with the soil and understanding the importance of health. And it starts with the food that we eat. So for me, this network is uh, all over the state. There's a lot of farmers, uh, small farmers, even a small farmer that's growing a half acre or their backyard. They're still farmers. And that network is important. For people that want uh, some of the same things that you want, but they don't understand what it takes to become a farmer, what would you tell them? I would say research first. And utilize the existing networks that's already in place. Uh, Look at cooperatives. Utilize extension service. uh, Look at our universities, our ag universities. There's so much knowledge there that we have to utilize. And this is open to us. We've got to utilize our resources if we are to be able to grow and do it the proper way. Jackson farmer Cindy Ayers Elliott with MPB's Ashley Norwood. Coming up, it's an event that bridges dancers from all over the world, the 11th USA International Ballet Competition. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. 
The USA International Ballet Competition is welcoming 100 competitors from 17 nations to Jackson as the official U.S. competition will kick off on Sunday. Held every four years in Jackson, Mississippi, the 11th USA IBC will last through June 23rd. Concurrent with the competition, the USA IBC Dance School also welcomes 100 students from around the country to a two-week ballet intensive at Belhaven University. Mona Nichols is executive director of the IBC. She tells us how it got started. It started in 1979 when a lady named Thalia Mara, uh, who had been hired by a group of arts patrons to form a professional ballet company in Jackson, after she moved here, she realized that the, the people of Jackson loved the competition, and she knew of ballet competitions around the world in Varna, Bulgaria, in Moscow, Russia, and at the time, Tokyo, and the United States didn't have a ballet competition. So she started the first international ballet competition in 1979 right here in Jackson, Mississippi, and it's happened every four years since then. So this will be our 11th competition. Uh, In the early 80s, it was um, designated by joint resolution um, of U.S. Congress as the official international ballet competition for the USA. How young is the younger category? We start at um, 14 years old up to 18 and then from 19 to 28 for the seniors. How many competitors from the United States compared to other countries? I would say, and I don't have the list in front of me, but we're probably about 50% USA. But we have a total of 19 different countries. How does the competition work, or how many different competitions are there over the week? Well, performances, there will be a total of 17 performances at Thalia Hall with three rounds. The first round is strictly classical. This round two will be contemporary. And then round three is the final round. And the, the, the competitors who make it to that round, the, the scores are completely you know, wiped clean and they start from scratch and they will perform classical and contemporary for that. When does the competition begin and when does it end? The opening ceremony will take place at Dalyamara Hall at 7.30 on this Sunday, which is June the 10th, and it will run through the 23rd of June. The awards night is on the 22nd, and that's when all of the competitors find out which medal they win, whether it's a bronze, a silver, or gold, and possibly even a Grand Prix award. And then on Saturday night, the 23rd, we'll have an encore performance. And each of those nights, the Mississippi Symphony Orchestra will be playing. So the opening, as well as the awards gala and the encore gala, you'll have the chance to see the dancers perform and along with the Mississippi Symphony Orchestra, which will be great. Mona Nichols is the executive director of the U.S. International Ballet Competition. Mona, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you for having us. 
For a complete competition schedule, visit usaibc.com slash attend. Stay tuned for MPB Think Radio for a full slate of Mississippi-based programs all morning long. Coming up at 9 o'clock, it's the Gestalt Gardener. Then at 10, it's Next Stop Mississippi. And at 11, stay tuned for Southern Remedy for Women. Did you miss part of the show today? Find past episodes of this and other Think Radio programs online at mpbonline.org or by downloading the MPB Public Media app from the Apple or Google Play stores. I'm Karen Brown. Join us again Monday morning at 830 for the next Mississippi edition only on MPB Think Radio.